You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Good evening, Bills Mafia. Welcome in to the Wednesday Staple Show. Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you, as always, by Tops Friendly Markets. And right now, the famous fish fry. Ryan, are you a fish fry guy? I am a fish fry guy. Yeah. Grew up Friday fish fries. Yeah. Well, at Tops, it's not just like Lent or Friday. You can get a fish fry any day, every day, all year long. And, uh, uh, right now, they're $10.99 for a huge portion of beer-battered haddock, fries, coleslaw, and a dinner roll. It's the best deal on the most delicious fish fry in town, only at your neighborhood tops. I feel like next time you're in town, Ryan, we're going to have to have you actually eat the fish fry at tops so you can kind of give us a little feedback on this. I don't like fish fries. I was going to say, you're not a fish fry guy, huh? Not a fish fry guy. Not a fish guy in general. Like I don't like any fish. Like, I, I know we, I, I texted <laughs> Elena earlier and I said, anything specific you want to talk about? She's like, let's get into your bad food take. So I thought, why there not just get this thing wrapped up right out of the gate? Are you, guys, <laughs> you like fish fries? You guys like fish fries? I'm fine with them. I, I don't. Chef's has one that's pretty popular. And when our station used to be next to chefs, a bunch of people would get them. I did one. It was fine. You know, sure. give me a fish fillet. You know, the song from McDonald's. I want that fish fillet. I, I'll, I'll do a fish fillet over a fish fry. So Elena. I hope this doesn't get me. Yeah, I hope this doesn't get me run out of Buffalo. I don't think I've had it before. Okay. <laughs> Is it just like a fried fish? I don't know. I don't understand. It was a new yeah. concept to me. <laughs> um, so I can't speak to it, but I'm open to trying it because unlike okay. Mr. Perino here, I actually like fish like a normal human being. So Right. Exactly. Like I'm trying to come yeah. around on it. I feel like I'm just going to like do it because I was actually looking at um, Ryan had sent me the menu, uh, from the Tottenham Hotspur, um, the menu inside the stadium there, obviously we'll, we'll be there in a few months. And one of the things like they had a whole page dedicated to fish and we were talking about like a story idea, like would be like testing all of the like different foods that you can get inside the stadium. And so I'm like, man, I must, think I might, if you must, right? like, I feel like I must, I feel like I'm going to probably have to eat that. So I'm kind of getting my head around it. But anyway, listen, I digress. We're, we're really getting off on a tangent here. Welcome into the show. This is a uh, mega podcast. It's kind of like round two. I could say round two because we're just subbing out one ball guy for another. <laughs> I only say that because they're both my friends and I think I'd get away with it. But I feel like Sal's going to get back from Florida. I'm like, I heard that. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, Ryan Talbot up top. We had Sal Capaccio on um, John Scott's podcast last week uh, with Elena Getzenberg from ESPN. John uh, from Spectrum 
Buffalo, Spectrum One Buffalo. And we're going to run this thing back because I thought it was a really fun conversation. We did it last year. Uh, we're going to interject Ryan into this thing and a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about days away from the start of the NFL scouting combine. How are you both? And welcome into Shout. Elena, ladies first. You can go. Oh, oh thank you so much. Um, I'm doing fine. It's the, we were talking before we started recording. It's like the quietness of the off season is like always such a transition. Cause especially, especially this year, we went from being like ultra busy to like, mm-hmm. uh, it's like quiet and like that kind of thing. So doing well, doing the transition. Okay. But it's about to get busy again next week. So I'm doing well. I finally got my credential approved for the combine a whole, what, four days before the event actually starts. They're really taking their sweet time. Hopefully things uh, more efficiently run once we hit the ground running in Indianapolis. This is the latest I think it's ever happened because I was looking at it today and I'm like, oh, the deadline to make sure to, to fulfill all the steps that you have to do after you get approved is like do it by Friday. So it's like you got to turn them. Obviously, the, the event starts on Monday, but like. It is a quick turnaround. They they did take their sweet time. How are you, Ryan? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for uh, asking, Matt. No, no problem. So obviously, we're gonna get in some big picture talk. Uh, you know, there's a couple of really you know fun conversation conversations happening around this Bills team in in an off season where you know you look at the you know the salary cap for 2023, and there's a lot of the important players in place. The contracts are on the books. And for the most part, you have the bones of what this team's going to look like. And Brandon Bean said, there's not going to be a lot of big, big wholesale changes. You're not going to get a lot of big, spicy Von Miller-esque signings this, this offseason. So we're obviously going to really dive in to the draft here in the next week because that's where the Bills really have to make their mark when they're adding potential starters for next season. But I wanted to start off on the offensive side of the ball, I have a couple like specific questions that uh, I want to get into over the course of the night. But I want to start with the offense as it's currently constructed. And it's a simple question. Do the Bills have to, do you feel like the Bills have to reimagine what they are identity-wise as an offense? Or is it just about supplementing what they already have in-house? Obviously, they're going to run back Ken Dorsey. Josh Allen still in place as the starter. Is it more just about putting pieces around them than maybe changing things dramatically? Uh, why don't we start with Elena? Um, no, I don't think they have to change their entire identity because their entire identity, as long as Josh Allen is the quarterback, is going to be surrounding it's going to be Josh Allen first and then building around him. And yes, I think this past year that they relied too much on that, that it was too much. Josh is going to rescue us. He's going to be able to do X, Y, and Z with his arm, whatever. They didn't do enough to surround him with talent. But to me, it's not like a, you're stripping the whole thing down. It has to start over. It's you need some pieces. You have to put better pieces around him, especially so he actually has someone he can throw to in the middle of the field. That's important. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Josh Allen's offense. And then it's just the supporting cast. That's what changes. I'm not even, they need to make upgrades on the offensive line and at the skilled positions, particularly at wide receiver. But I think it's more of an execution and a philosophy in terms of, they just need to be a little more creative in ter- in play calling and and how they operate as a unit there. I think whether it was penalties, drops, just mistakes, Allen was off at times. There's nothing there that I think 
is insurmountable or something that's even this massive step forward they need to take. I think Ken Dorsey needs to evolve as a play caller, get more comfortable, and specifically become better at making adjustments when things just are not going well for them, which was the entire back half of the season. They kind of bailed themselves out. Josh Allen made some miraculous plays like in Detroit, and they just kind of found a way, which is their their mantra there, find a way. But they it was never flashy. It was never pretty. It was never easy in that back half of the season. And as Stephon Diggs kind of noted during his round at the Super Bowl, I know, Matt, you put an article out there, that they just lost their identity in the back half of the season. There's a variety of reasons for that. And so I, I think that... Yeah, you could use some personnel upgrades. It doesn't need to be some sweeping type of moves and widespread changes. Mm-hmm. I just think they just individually and then collectively just have to be better and almost be more of themselves. Uh, and I think they just got away from that. Like, I don't think Gabe Davis is a bad receiver. Is he a number two? I don't know. But is he the guy that's going to make all these drops all the time and be inconsistent? I don't think so. It's just that's just one specific area there where I think it illustrates that I don't think it's leaps and bounds. I, I, I think it's more of a just sharpen your tools a little better than they were last season. Yeah, and I'm not at the reimagine point either. This offense still finished uh, high in the league statistically across the board. Uh, but Matt, we've talked about it, and it goes to John's point: the creative play calling. Uh, the Bills didn't really go into their trick play belt too much last season. It, it and I'm talking just end arounds, little simple things like that. The only trick play I can think of off the top of my head was when they put Dawson Knox under center against the Jets and they were able to uh, get the Jets to jump offside. They really didn't go too creative last year. And uh, they they had the personnel to maybe do some things there. I think Ken Dorsey from year one to year two, he's obviously going to grow as a play caller, but there's also things that we saw at training camp that I think he had in mind that he wanted to do that he just couldn't. How many two tight end sets do we see them trying to run uh, with Dawson Knox and OJ Howard and Howard just didn't pan out here. And Quentin Morris is still in that developmental stage. So uh, maybe it is getting a tight end that you can upgrade this unit, this roster, and not just a, a wide receiver, a weapon elsewhere, because, you know, Bobby Hart was kind of the jumbo tight end for this offense last year. Get a guy that can actually come in and block and play the actual tight end position. Uh, and I think your offense is going to be better off as well. So uh, to Elena's point, it's always going to be the Josh Allen show as long as he's your quarterback. Creativity, though, could definitely be upgraded. So this sets up perfectly for my next question. And we're going to get into digs specifically and what you mentioned a minute ago, John, in a minute. But. What do they, what do you envision adding to this offense that's, that's going to help? And what's the path that they should take to get there? And I'm going to start with a topic that a couple people have tweeted me about today. And it's, it's an interesting one. Robert Woods gets released by the Tennessee Titans today. And it's immediately a guy that Bills fans are, you know, uh, they love, they loved his tenure here. Uh, He obviously went on and had a lot of success with the Rams, had the injury, came back, wasn't really the same guy this last year, but in kind of a bad offense, right? But is that the path that you want the Bills to take, to go after another, you know, aging veteran receiver? Now, it's interesting because at 31 years old, Robert Woods almost feels like if you you go by the injury history, right, he's probably going to be in a better spot this year going into coming off of like two years since the injury than he was last year. But he's right in that age pocket that Cole Beasley was in when the Bills first signed him in 2019. Where does Robert Woods really excel out of the slot? I don't know, though, if that's the path that you want to take. I, I'd almost prefer them 
really prioritize the receiver position, the slot, the outside, anywhere you're looking at it in the draft, and then maybe take a couple low end options. Like if you bring in Robert Woods, I'm pretty sure you're going to have to give him a, like a pretty solid role. And I don't know if you want to promise that to anybody, especially if you're going to start remaking this room through the draft. Elena, what are your thoughts? So the bills keep doing this thing and it's like really nice for fans. And I think it, it's great. And it just, this consistency of bringing back guys is really mm-hmm. interesting. And you don't, teams do it. It's not just unique to the bills, that kind of thing, but it's like, Every former bill now because of what they did last year is like, oh, is he coming back and all that? And like, I just don't know if he makes the most sense. Um, I think they could bring him back. But like, to your point, I wouldn't promise. I don't think it makes sense to promise him like anything um, much of a role at all. I don't I think their problems go way beyond what he can offer at wide receiver. They need someone who can really fill that number two role. And I don't think he's that guy. And And again, I think he could be nice depth for the wide receiver room. It depends what he's looking for. But I don't think, I don't know, the Cole Beasley thing, like, worked to an extent bringing him back, John Brown, you know, like, bringing back all these guys. Like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't think, like, just because there's a lot of free agent wide receivers that I think could help the Bills offense, and he's one of them. But I think they could find maybe a better fit. But, like, if he wants, like, the minimum to come back and, like, be on or like a little bit more than that to come back and be in that room. I think that could be a positive, but I don't, I think they need more than he can offer. If it's a Jamison Crowder esque investment, one year deal, $2 million, it's low risk, high reward type deal. Fine. But at the key positions here that really need to be addressed, offensive line and wide receiver, the bills need to make investments that are more long-term solutions on cheaper deals so you don't have to continue to have this conversation and put these items at the top of your to-do list every single offseason. And at wide receiver in particular, you're not only trying to find an upgrade from Gabe Davis, but after this season, you have to make a determination about what happens with Gabe Davis. So if you sign a veteran wide receiver like Robert Woods to a one-year deal, let's say, and then Gabe Davis, you have a decision to make, then you're going to potentially a year from now. And our discussion is you have 30 plus year old Stefan Diggs and what fifth round pick Khalil Shakir. And now you're really running upstream here to try to solidify arguably the most important position when you have a quarterback, the caliber of Josh Allen. I think on the offensive line, you're signing certain guys to be stopgaps, a Roger Saffold for a one year deal. And whether or not that worked, which it, you know, a lot of people don't think it did. You made a Pro Bowl. We could argue that till the day is done. Regardless, you're now looking for your starting left guard here where it needs to be addressed in the draft. You pay someone less money than you would a guy like Roger Saffold. And now you know that you have that position filled. It's not necessarily going to be achieved greatness and lock it in. But for two years, you know, you're right. All right, this guy's going to be our starter at that position. I think with the way they are constructed with cap restrictions, with where they are, it's certain positions aging. I think the key places that need to be filled and addressed should be addressed in places that are more. We're not just trying to fix it for 2023. We're trying to fix it for 2023 with an eye also for the years beyond. Yeah, that's a great point. With Robert Woods, no real ties to this regime. Uh, Older guy. And again, if it's a Jamison Crowder type deal, like John said, yeah, you can sell me on a lot of veterans at at that price. But I also would argue that maybe the Bills had 
too many slot guys in their uh, in their wide receiver room last year with Isaiah McKenzie, with Jamison Crowder, who, mind you, suffered the injury, bringing back Cole Beasley. It almost stunted the growth of Khalil Shakir in terms of uh, what they wanted him to maybe be able to do as a rookie. So th- there's an argument to be had there. And, and for me, with this offense, first and foremost, if I'm doing anything, it's upgrading the offensive line. It's, it's fixing that because if you give Josh Allen an extra second or two in the pocket to uh, scan the field, use his eyes, it's something that Naheem Hines said in a recent interview of how intelligent he is as a quarterback going through his progressions. If he can do that, it's going to make the, the current guys in the, in the locker room look that much better. They're going to be able to have more time to get open, uh, run different routes, and then they can also address those uh, positions at wide receiver, tight end, et cetera, and the draft, get younger, uh, develop those guys. But wide, rece- wide receiver is nice would be to add more weapons. I think offensive line is where you have to attack this offseason for the Bills. And the, the Woods thing, too, for me is another guy, I think, you know, a couple of you have made this point. It's just, it clouds and muddies the water. And there's no definitive role for him. And it's almost just like, hey, like, hang around, like, where we can give you opportunities, it'll work. We'll get you involved. And then if there's an injury, we're going to have to plug you in. And you you want to go out and get guys like that. Um, you know, veterans that could kind of come in here. I really like the Paris Campbell idea because I think that he brings um, a, a speed factor that maybe Robert Woods doesn't. And I don't, and I agree with one of the commenters that I don't feel like Robert Woods is a clean comparison to what Cole Beasley brought to this offense, right? Like he plays outside, they move him around a lot. I don't even know where his separation ability is at this stage of his career coming off of that injury. So those are all things that, you know, you got to have to put the tape on and people much smarter than me are going to have to make those decisions. Um, But I want to transition a little bit. I'm going to stay in the wide receiver room because, you know, the Stefan Diggs stuff, it's really, you know, grown legs and started to walk here over the last week. And obviously a Mike Florio report, which, these things tend to do in the off season uh, gets things kind of churning a little bit. All the talk radio shows, pick it up, start talking about will the bills trade Stefan Diggs now that he's quote unquote unhappy. I know it's an eye roll situation, <laughs> but I, the Stefan Diggs conversation as a whole is one I think is worth having because you know, the frustration was palpable right over the, you know, the course of the end of the season, even before I think John, you had mentioned this uh, either on our show last week or the one you did with Howard yesterday, which I, I, Highly recommend you go watch uh, John's podcast. Uh, he had Howard Simon, who's retiring here in the next couple of days. Uh, he had him on his show to kind of relive his career a little bit. We'll probably have Howard on at some point uh, to do the same. Uh, a pioneer, uh, somebody, that, a staple of the Buffalo uh, media community. So shout out to Howard. Congrats to him on a great clear career. But, you know, you look at Stefan Diggs, and I saw a video pop up the other day, and it was from Thanksgiving. I believe it was Thanksgiving and was that like little exchange between him and Josh Allen, where he was like, so thankful for you. And he like got choked up. Right. And then like, to just think about like the path that they've walked since then and where it ended, you know, in really two short months, like how the script flipped on their whole dynamic because of the way that it ended and him walking off and not really talking about it until he did the media at the, the, the Super Bowl week. I'll start with you, Elena. Where do things sit right now as you're observing the relationship between Diggs and you know the bills and josh allen you know the the immediate future looking into next season and is a lot of this stuff just being overblown because of the frustration that he had in obviously a frustrating situation the way the season ended i think so um that's my general sentiment we're all over here rolling our eyes about the idea of um stefan Diggs being traded first of all because cap wise it's like 
not really possible. But anyway, that's a conversation for maybe another time. Um, yeah, I think to your point about like when you were started talking about Steph and seeing an old video, I thought you were going to bring up him being upset on the sideline in a different game. Like to mm. me, like it was in this high profile game. So and he what he did with almost leaving the stadium early, which to he does not normally do. he's usually sitting in his locker and all that kind of stuff. Um, It got more attention because it was a playoff game where the offense had by far its worth game of the season. Him, I'm referencing the him being upset on the sideline part of it. Like, I think that's gotten overblown because Stefan Diggs throughout the season was upset on the sideline. He often shows how he's feeling and he has meant told us in the past, he's not really afraid to do that. And he said that this during the Super Bowl, like he's going to show how he feels. That's who Stefan Diggs is. And that's just what you're going to get with Stefan Diggs. Um, but I do think there's like a valid concern with like the offensive identity stuff and like him not, not being on the same page with Josh necessarily. And like his production went down in the second half of the season in a way that is like not acceptable. He was on pace for by far a career season and the way it went down and like for a variety of reasons, I think we can point the blame all over the place to Ken Dorsey, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, opposing defenses doing their job against Stefan Diggs. So I do think that the offense has to be able to involve him more consistently and whoever the blame goes on for that. Um, He can't have like, all these numbers in the first half of the season, the second half of the season, it's like, okay, he can get taken, you know, like they're paying him too much for that. He's too good for that. Um, So I do think there's concern. There's reason. Yeah, I agree. There's reason for him to be upset. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that either. Um, But overall, I think it's gotten a little more attention than maybe it deserves because of who Stefan Diggs is and the way he reacts. Um, but it, you know, <laughs> that this stuff gets attention. It's the way it is. But there is like, I also think to end my thoughts on this is that what happened with the Bills at the end of the season. And I thought, Matt, what you said on John's podcast we were on about how like this was an unprecedented end to the season. And no, it doesn't excuse anything, really. I mean, it doesn't, you know, the play was the play. But like the external factors that were impacting, like if you're looking at the last month, like that had an impact. Um, And I think like whenever we're evaluating this stuff, it just has to be kept in mind that this team was going something that no team before really has experienced or in recent memory has experienced. So it's just another factor also to keep in mind. Let's not act like Stefan Diggs history and reputation on how things ended in Minnesota isn't a major driving force in people's reactions to this. None of us were in though the Minnesota locker room. None of us were in Minnesota and the way I feel as an outsider of observing Stefan Diggs in this setting is he doesn't seem like a guy who would be a problem in the locker room. But again, I wasn't there. I can only speak to what I've seen since Stefan Diggs got to the bills a few years ago. And yeah, when things are going well, he's certainly going to be happy, but let's also not act which Mike Florio is not going to know. Cause he's a national guy who sits around and has no real pulse on this football team. But when we were in the locker room during the weeks, even though he wasn't doing press conferences, I promise you, Stefan Diggs was not moping around, yelling at teammates, acting as if the world is falling and he hates everything about where he's at right now. In the competitive configuration of a football game that they look like crap, and he hasn't been involved as the offense looked very poor the back half of the season, that's where the frustration was really manifesting itself. 
when he's putting around with guys in the locker room with a putter and a golf ball into a cup and he's leading that with like five guys on the team, he's not looking to leave this situation. As Elena said, he's making a lot of money. He has one of the best quarterbacks in football. He just is ticked that they stunk and are not going to once again achieve their goal of winning a Super Bowl. And I think we mentioned it. Let on me ask show. you this, though, Josh okay. or John, sorry, in response to that. And I want you to answer this. Does his behavior fly in the face, though, of, of comments that he has made about like being quarterback is hard. I got to be there. I got to be there for him. I got to lift him up. I got to be somebody. I got to lead my football. team. Does this behavior specifically when he's, you know, having this fit on the sideline and then the behavior afterward and then not coming out afterwards, even during the Super Bowl week and speaking to any of this specifically, it's left open to interpretation as to who he's actually frustrated with. No, I 100% agree. And listen, I'm a super competitive person. I'm not a professional athlete, but I can understand how he can get to those certain points. However, I think as much as he has matured as a player, has matured as a leader with this organization and, and, and seems to be a great teammate overall, I think clearly there are still steps that Stefan Diggs needs to take to continue to evolve and learn how to best harness that. It cannot just be accepted. And maybe that conversation he had with Sean McDermott on the way out with the exit interview, maybe that touched on that. I don't know. But maybe it's like, listen, we love your passion. Sometimes when you get fiery, it's exactly what our team and our offense needs. And guys have admitted to it that they feed off of that. And it's a spark and something that was lacking before he came here. But he needs to be better with the placement of displaying that and using that as a tool. It cannot just be flying off the handle here. And it's okay because he's an all pro and, and they just understand that that's who Stefan digs. I think he just needs to continue to get better at understanding how to, how and when to display that fiery passion here, because it is natural as much as they love him and love his talents that at some point, maybe it won't be, overhanging on the team but at some point it's going to rub someone the wrong way if it hasn't already and it may they may work their way past it but like you can be ticked but you cannot leave before the head coach addresses the football team at the end of the the very last game of the season you don't have to talk to us but again as a captain of the football team and as a leader I, i think that's another sign of maturity and and as a leader of the team to face the music when things go wrong. There's been plenty of guys on this team who have been in that position for the past few years that have sat in front and answered questions when they didn't want to because things were really bad. And so I think it's fair also, and maybe Stefan, who is a guy that's so great when we actually do get to talk to him, he's honest, straightforward, and very articulate. I think maybe he would even admit there are still places that he can grow in that area, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that that's well said. And I think you guys both kind of uh, brought the point home there, but it, it, it's easy to see why he get frustrated based on where he was in the first half of the season stat wise, based on where he ended, how he was taken out of games. Uh, but who does it? Who does the blame fall on? I think there's a lot of people. It's Josh Allen with the elbow injury, maybe not being able to get him the ball in certain situations. It's Ken Dorsey as a first year coordinator. Uh, it, it might also be Ken Dorsey and the fact that he's up in the booth and he's not on the sideline. And he, that's someone he can't talk to right there. And then w- where he could do that with Brian Dable in the past, 
uh, and vent the frustration. So he's taking it out on maybe Josh and someone else. So it, it's understandable that he showed the frustration when he did it after that Cincinnati loss, when he did it times uh, in the second half of the season when he wasn't getting the ball and he just wanted to help this team. Uh, but harnessing that, uh, using that to become a better leader is something he certainly needs to work on. We need the uh, bombshell report, Elena, that, you know, Josh Allen's elbow was really as much of a, you know, detracting situation in this offense as it really was. Because I think that would really illuminate the whole situation. Because I almost feel like, to Diggs' point, the offense changed dramatically enough for me to wonder if part of that wasn't because of what they were dealing with with the health of Allen and his arm. And like the way they ramped up the running game and got that going. Like I know Sean McDermott always wants to get the running game going. This goes back years and years and years. We talk about it every year, but it almost feels like they were, they went into this like safe mode in a way with their offense, which is crazy because if you put the two nine game um, periods against each other, they scored more points per game in the second half of the season. I don't know how you explain that, but there's a lot of people that are saying that Ken Dorsey is the, only reason this offense didn't work in the second half of the season. And there are some metrics that show that it still kind of did, even though it wasn't the same as the early part of the season. That's just not true. Um, (laughs) I also think like, I know it didn't end up really impacting them. They went 13 and three in the regular season, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Josh Allen led the league in turnovers. Like, I don't know why that's like, and again, it didn't end up costing them losing games, but that's just the point, a point of like this offense wasn't perfect for many reasons. And while Ken Dorsey, like you said, he's part of it. He's to blame all that. Um, he's not the only factor. Like that's like so far from reality that like, you know, Josh Allen's not perfect. Um, first of all. And yeah, I mean, he kind of the idea that his arm and el- the elbow didn't impact this offense is just not realistic. He told us that in January that he had to change his whole throwing motion, like for a majority of that stretch, like it had just gone back to what it had been. Like, of course that has an impact. Like to say it doesn't is wild. Like it just doesn't make sense. So yeah, the blame to me is to go around. And I think the elbow did have an impact. I think the question mark is right. How long it had the impact, like how many games was he feeling like, you know, that it was really limiting him. I think that's the question, but it was like a stretch of that regular season. Like there's no doubt to me about that. So the blame, there's lots of blame to go around. We can talk about the offensive line again for days, wide receiver we talked about, but like, yes, Ken Dorsey's responsible, but like to just put it on him to me is just, you didn't really watch this team this year. Let me go Ryan. And then we'll John come off of what Ryan says. How much do you think in hindsight now that John Brown and Cole Beasley at the stage of the season when they added them was just a bad decision organizationally and maybe put too much on Ken Dorsey's plate to imagine how to, you know, integrate them back into the offense? Like, that's one of the things that, you know, looking back, it does stand out to me that Cole Beasley said, yeah, it's still the same offense, but he almost had to relearn a lot of different things to kind of get himself back into not only game shape, but like, understanding the calls and understanding where he's supposed to be and what his role even is in the offense. Now, do you feel like maybe if they just went with the guys that were in house, whether it would have been Isaiah Hodgins, Khalil Shakir in a larger role, that would have been, you know, trust the draft picks and let the, and this goes back to a a point that I think organizationally they got to fix in general. Anyway, trusting the guys that you're 
bringing in there to develop that, you know, aside from the stuff on the practice field, some of that development has to happen in games. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I think some of it, though, had to do with injuries taking their toll. They had Kumaro that went down with some injuries. Uh, they had other guys late in the depth chart. They didn't trust Isaiah Hodgins for whatever reason. When he went to New York, he showed that he could be a, a regular contributor there. So maybe that was just a misfire on their part. They were probably expecting uh, to, to get a few guys off the IR back into the fold that uh, just never really happened for this team. So when it came to adding John Brown, that was a speed element downfield that they were missing. Cole Beasley was just kind of brought in because at that point, Isaiah McKenzie really wasn't getting the job done uh, in the slot. You were still dealing with an injury to Jamison Crowder. Khalil Shakir uh, was blocking more, getting more snaps in that role, but wasn't really a prominent part of the offense. So I understood the signings at the time. I'm not sure if they uh, were that big of a detraction in terms of what it did to this offense. Obviously, when you have to go back and play the greatest hits and and guys that are arguably out of their prime, it's it's never a good thing. Uh, But I don't necessarily think it was a uh, it hurt the offense either, I guess. I think. John Brown and Cole Beasley were a last ditched effort of throwing stuff up against the wall just to see if you can get any sort of spark or turnaround here. It was, we need to address the position. We do not have the time to bring in guys completely cold off the street because they bring in Naheem Hines. That's another topic we go Mm. into, but he even admitted to me with the disruption of the practice schedule and just the challenges of the playbook in general for the bills, it took him a long time to get acclimated and understand the playbook. I think that slowed his involvement. And then maybe once he was comfortable, if that ever happened, then he just really didn't see a lot of run anyways to then try to find someone similarly off the streets with no idea or familiarity with this and even even the concepts of this offense, they probably knew that just wasn't going to work. So then here's John Brown. Here's Cole Beasley. All right, we've seen what they could do, even if they don't give us exactly what they used to, which, which would even be uh, an unfair expectation. Maybe they can carry us through to get us around here and, and make it good enough to overcome because we have Superman at quarterback. Obviously, it didn't happen. I mean, half the time, I don't even think I ever really even can recollect times I knew that they were on the field. I mean, I know John Brown made one play. Cole Beasley made a couple key catches. Beyond that, I I just, from watching every snap of this football team's played, when they were on the field, I just didn't even realize it, to be perfectly honest with you. And honestly, I think that that's a criticism you could say for the majority of the people on offense where you're like, wait, is Stephon Diggs? Whatever happened to him? Why hasn't he gotten a target in the entire half? Gabe Davis, what is he doing? Isaiah McKenzie, like everything was in spurts with guys and it never was just a a consistent, even distribution across the board. And I think that that was a problem. I don't know if Ken Dorsey had issues incorporating those guys. I just think it was a quick fix that didn't work and because nothing else was seeming to work, it, whether you had an all pro had been there the entire season or you're bringing in, you know, guys of past glory off the street. Somebody's after Is that Reggie. That's Reggie. Yeah. He's like, it's Ken Dorsey's fault. <laughs> Reggie. I mean, was perfect. Watched a lot of Bills football this year with dad. And he was not happy with the coordinator. I appreciate that. Reggie. Um, Elena, it looked like you had something to add there. I was going to kind of leave the door open to you. 
I was just, I just, yes, I did. <laughs> I just wanted to say, like, I remember talking to Cole at the end of at, when they were cleaning out the locker rooms and he was very honest about the fact that like, I always thought it was interesting when the Bills signed him, they didn't work him out at all. They were just like, come in. <laughs> we right. know you've been working out. Like to John's point, it was just like, yeah, let's do it. Like, and Cole was like, yeah, it wasn't like, it took me a while to get in game shape. Like I had been like playing basketball and like working out, but like, playing in an NFL football game is not something you can do overnight. So that's just something that stuck out to me. And then also to the, you know, wide receiver conversation, it was interesting. Jamison Crowder, I think this has kind of gone like, cause it's shrug, whatever at this point, but like Jamison Crowder told us that like, he thought he was ready to play in the Bengals game. Would that have made much of a difference? And, you know, it's towards the end there. I don't know, probably. No, I don't, I don't think it would have, but it's just kind of interesting things like that, where they're making these decisions with wide receiver um, that like, you know, they're interesting and they kind of rolled the dice on Cole, like John said, and it didn't work out. So it's a what if with Jamison too, like if he'd been more available. You did though? (laughs) No, I just killed a spider. Uh, It was a really, really big spider. My wife is watching. So I was going to try to do it really nonchalantly. But I didn't want to crawl around, so I got it. But I got it, so. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you so much for watching. If you're just tuning in right now, we are talking about the Bills, Killing Spiders, Reggie is just freaking out out Nolian. It's a good time. Um, <laughs> uh, had by all. She's Elena Getzenberg, ESPN. Kind enough to uh, join us here tonight. John Scott uh, from Spectrum One Buffalo. He has his own Bills podcast. John, what is it called? It's called the Buffalo End Zone Podcast with uh, myself and Kevin Carroll. Indeed. Somebody asked about that, so I want to get a plug in for that. And then, of course, Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. Thank you so much. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the show as well. I want to get to the defensive side. This is not just an offensive show, but one really fiery convo we had last week that I feel like we need to bring over to the show podcast is draft strategy. And, you know, Ryan put up a uh, story earlier in the week, and, you know, he does this, this weekly Monday morning mock roundup. And, of course... Bijan Robinson appears in the uh, one of the mocks once again. So let's start with Ryan, and we'll kind of go around the horn. Uh, I have takes. What you always <laughs> do? You always do. Caitlin's, Caitlin's in the chat, and obviously saw the spider episode and just put WTF. <laughs> she is not happy about that. Um, Ryan, thoughts on Bijan Robinson? Because 
you know, when I, when I kind of sampled this take on John's show last week, you know, people kind of came from my head, like you are not drafting a running back in round one. I know not advocating for it, but I think that running back in round one versus arguably the best weapon in the draft, they're two different conversations. You still may end at the same place in that, okay, the bills are not in a place for a value type of pick like that. Um, I get that, but I think like, it's interesting. I'm seeing some people and John will have a little take on this that were all aboard the Christian McCaffrey train, all aboard the Saquon Barkley trade, uh, trade that are out in running back in round one, even if that's like the next guy in that category, where do you stand on this whole Bijan Robinson? Well, first and foremost, I think Robinson is by far one of the best playmakers in this draft class. He's my top running back in this draft. I think that he's a special player, but I also get the argument from Bills fans saying avoid round one running backs. This is a team that's drafted guys in the first two days of the draft three times in this regime with Devin Singletary, who's now a free agent himself, Zach Moss, who was traded away, and then obviously James Cook last year. And yeah, is Cook a three-down back? You can argue that he's not, and, and he may never be. Uh, but it's also one of the positions in this league where you can get some guys relatively cheap and free agency running. You can get guys late in the draft. Isaiah Pacheco comes to mind with the Chiefs. Uh, undrafted free agents. Raheem Blackshear did some nice things in Carolina. Not that he would have done the same in Buffalo. More opportunities there. It's a tough sell because of the fact that they've invested in running back. But it's also a tough sell because of what this offense is. It goes back to what Elena said. This is the Josh Allen show. As long as you have Josh Allen, you know, this is a team that's going to be throwing the ball a lot. You're going to be building off of Allen. You want to have the best talent around him. And while Robinson would be a special talent, are they going to change the offense enough to really make it worth their while of picking him in round one? Are they going to give him the necessary touches? We've talked a lot about the recent draft classes and how hesitant they are to get some of these guys onto the field. If you're taking Robinson uh, round one, you better have him on the field week one, getting significant carries, touches, everything else. I called it on my show, the height of stupidity. If they draft a running back in the first round, and I will continue to say that exact same line, until we are at the end of April and through the draft and Brandon Bean, God willing, bypasses even conjuring a thought to drafting a running back in the first round. It has nothing to do with B. John Robinson. He's a very good football player. I agree. Ryan is 100% right. And Elena, too, she said it as well. Like, if you're investing this heavily into a running back, you're taking the ball out of the hands of Josh Allen. Does there need to be some balance? Absolutely. But also look at the other positions that could be much more utilized to advance this offense. And as the point was, Isaiah Pacheco, just look at the Super Bowl winners of the past, what, 10 years? Can you name a Pro Bowl running back on any of those squads? The answer is no, because the offenses don't run through the running back. The offenses run through the quarterback. And that's what this Bills offense needs to do. If they picked a running back in the first round over addressing the offensive line, wide receiver, safety, I would even say potentially I would take a defensive lineman over a running back because I think that is a I position. I think you have to that change that, back. though. That's one thing I would push back. I don't think it should just be generally a running back. I, I don't think most people that are advocating for Robinson are advocate, well, advocating him, for himself. a running back. You know, you're, you're throwing it out there like, eh, hey, just, just draft a running back in the first round. Like the, the year where there's three of them kind of like, 
together. It's not that. It's like a, a potential game changer. And I get it. The argument for like taking away from what Josh Allen does, it's it's a good argument. I, I, I'm I fine with that pushback. And if that's where you ultimately land, again, I'm not advocating for it. I just think like it's not just a running back is my only point. That's fair. It's fair. I, I also then would say – then you invested in a second round pick in James Cook. If you're investing a first round pick in a guy like Bijan Robinson, you are now cutting away opportunities for how to best utilize a guy you drafted in the second round just a year ago. You are minimizing the value of a high draft pick just a year later to bring in another running back here. So what what would you be? It would be so counterintuitive to the selection. And I know Brandon Bean will continue to hammer home beginning this week at the combine of it's best player available, blah, 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 blah. But there are going to be guys in that range. If Bijan Robinson happens to still be sitting there, I would rather trade back than make that selection because there, there are just so many more pressing needs for this team for 2023 and even forecasting beyond. Yeah, to me, why I like got excited was John said exactly like my main point is that I think he could actually be really good for this offense. And but to Ryan's point, like if they use him in a way we haven't seen them use running backs, so like that's a little weird. They would really have to like change what they have done in the past. But they have now reached a point where, first of all, I don't really trust this front offense. I know he's a great running back. We all agree. I don't really trust them to draft a running back and then use them correctly. Like we have now seen them mm. fail to do so. Um, I mean, I guess Devin Singletary, whether that was success, whether that worked, that's maybe a, a different conversation, but I think their opportunity to me to get that to, they've invested too much. They taking James cook. Now you can't like, was that now, are you saying that was a mis- like a mistake, right? Like, is that what you're doing if you were to take a running back in the first round? Like, I think they also like, wow, trading for Christian or like Saquon or someone like that, like that could have made sense. But then why would you have invested a second round pick when you are a team that has a variety? Like even last year, like, like they had needs that would have made more sense to address. I thought they should have taken Brees Hall. I thought trading back and taking him made a lot of sense to me. I don't know if we would be still having a different conversation if they had done that instead of drafting James Cook when they did. But to me, like it's, it's the running back position. You just can't, they have so many things that I think like to John's point earlier, long-term that they need to start taking care of. So you just can't, you just can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you all made really good points and I only bring it up just because I think it's interesting in a draft where like if there's a if there's a run on I don't think he's going to be there anyway. I mean that's what most draft experts yeah. are saying so this is kind of like a a moot point, but I just think it's 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 an interesting conversation to have. I also think from a draft strategy perspective, like the Bills have to really start to give themselves options through the draft, especially on day one and day two offensively. Like you mentioned offensive line John and obviously wide receiver like you look at what the the Chiefs have done, it hasn't been perfect, and I hate to use them for every single example of how to you know team build, but obviously it's it's been pretty successful. McCole Hardman's probably going to walk away from there without ever really having making a huge impact, right? Like he never was. He made some good plays in the playoffs at some point. Like you know he had some moments, but I think the the approach to 
going out and dra- having Tyreek Hill on the roster, drafting McCole Hardman, then coming back and drafting Sky Moore this past year, like taking swings at positions around your really good quarterback. And listen, they went round one running back too. So they've done it in multiple ways. They spent a lot of capital on their offense. They've drafted two pro bowl offensive linemen and Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. They've, they've done, they've spent in free agency. They found a way to do it kind of all. I think the bills have to now emulate that model around Josh Allen. And if that, if you do the, in, the interior work, Ryan inside the building and you talk about, all right, what are we, what do we want to be adding a premier running back is going to take us away from what we want to be. So that's out. How are you then going to then pivot and bring in enough playmakers, especially in the draft. I mean, I think you got to. I think you got to draft two. Mm, well, one late in round one. Obviously, there's plenty of offensive linemen to talk about. But if you're talking about playmakers, it's going to be a few wide receivers in the discussion. Uh, we we've talked about this. There's even uh, some tight ends you could discuss. And I know tight end round one might not be a, an exciting pick or something that fans want to hear. But if you can get a, a tight end that can actually block and catch the ball, and there's a few in this draft that could be had round one, round two, maybe that's an option. Free agency is still there. They do have to follow the Kansas City Chief model to a certain extent. Josh Allen said it himself. You know, they're having a lot of success over there. We have to find ways to mimic it. And it goes back, though, to what you said. Look at what they did through the draft, finding offensive linemen, uh, Pro Bowl caliber, all pro caliber offensive linemen, and then signing guys to bigger deals uh, like, you know, Orlando Brown or trading for him. So the Bills have some pieces in place. They obviously have Deion Dawkins. They Mitch Morris, obviously, with the salary cap, there's a discussion to be had there, but I think they'd be better off re-signing him or extending his contract, I should say, uh, to keep him in the fold for a little bit longer. But, you know, you could talk both guard spots, whether or not Ryan Bates, you, you flip him back to left guard, you keep him at right guard and hope he continues to grow there. But left guard, there's a hole there right now, and there's a, a – Big hole at right tackle, in my opinion, with Spencer Brown. So it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, I get playmakers being a need. But for me, it starts up front when it comes to Josh Allen and this offense. And I think that's where you have to go with one of your first two picks is offensive line. But then you go with a playmaker, whether it's a wide receiver or a tight end, maybe in round two or vice versa. There's ways for them to go around this. People are not on the tight end in round no. one. Tree. Like it is passionately uh, oh. against that move. Even if it turns into what is the next Travis Kelsey? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just saying that there's guys in the, in this draft. And I know uh, Michael May- uh, Mayer's not a speed guy, but he's a great blocker. He has good hands. He's someone that could be there late in round one out of Notre Dame. Uh, there's there's people that could be had, though, in round one, round two at that position. I know it's not an exciting uh pick necessarily but it goes back to what we saw from ken dorsey this summer this past summer and what he i think he what he wants to be able to do with this offense thanks for the super chat johnny 699 are you out of your mind thank you so much i really appreciate that (laughs) preseason josh had a nice soft arc to short passes was not there during the regular season often too high on the short passes anything noticeable um i would just probably you know put that on the, the the elbow injury um you know, he has he doesn't want to talk too much about it. Uh, I think it's fair to say that that impacted the season. All right. I, I, this can't all be offense. I want to get you guys out of here before an hour, but let's pivot real quick. And I'm going to kind of put two questions together and let each person take it in their own direction. So I put out a story earlier today about um, six moves the Bills can make. You know, we're all kind of doing that at this point. Right. Like to, to get under the salary cap and then, you know, Brandon Bean provide some room uh, to 
you know, be offensive to a degree in free agency. You know, one of the moves I put out there would, was trading Ed Oliver. Do I think that that's realistic? Not really. Like, I, I, I think they view Ed Oliver in a much different light than people outside the building do. So what I want to ask you is, what is one thing right now you feel sh- most strongly about defensively? It could be Jordan Poyer. He's gone. Tremaine Edmonds. They're definitely going to sign him. They're not going to sign him. Ed Oliver, they're going to w- look to work something out with that, um, whether it be a trade or you know signing him to extension. What's one defensive take that you have here three weeks out from free agency? And anybody can start. I'm not even going to call on anybody. Whoever's got one in the hopper. I'll, here. I'll go. All uh, right. I, I, I don't think defense is, is I, it's important, but it's not that important anymore. I, I just watched the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the best defenses in the regular season, get sliced and diced in the Super Bowl uh, to 38 points. So when it comes to Tremaine Edmonds and what he could potentially be making and Jordan Poyer, they're great players. They've been great players for this defense. But if I'm the Bills, I'm not going to go to, go to necessarily what they're going to get elsewhere in free agency. Are, are you going to downgrade those positions? Positions? Quite possibly, but I still think you can find capable starters at linebacker, at safety. Those are two positions where you're not, you don't have to break the bank to find a starter in this league. And again, yes, you're downgrading from Edmonds's uh, athleticism. You're downgrading from Poyer and his knowledge of this defense. But this is an offensive league. It's been an offensive league. You look again, go to the, to John's point about the Super Bowl over the last decade. It's been offenses that have carried you, the, those teams for the most part. You can look at Tampa Bay beating the Chiefs a few years ago and their defensive effort, obviously uh, having an effect on Patrick Mahomes. But offense is king in this league. And if the Bills have enough weapons on the offense side of the ball, they're going to be just fine if they lose Edmonds and Poyer in free agency. Elena, I like I know you like to go last, so I'm going to let you go next. <laughs> ready to go actually um i'm gonna actually kind of pivot in a different way i think they do need to address the defensive line and those end spots um in some way this off season um for like a because i think the long term is now becoming a concern um if you look like this is going to be aj panessa's last year i think we could have a pretty short conversation about how that has gone. Um, And they're just not getting enough out of Boogie Basham. Um, It's, you know, two years in, it's just not working. And I think like we saw, you know, Shaq Lawson had to step up and I think they have to find, is it through the draft? I'm going to, I'm not opposed to that. I don't think it should be first round, but like, I think investing in that position and continuing to do so, while like they need to do it better, like make better picks. I think that's actually important this off season because they're going to start getting to a point where like, yeah, the Von Miller signing when he's on the field, he's awesome. Like he played really well and I think stepped up to what they paid him, but he's not like a spring chicken and like him getting whenever he does come back from this injury, like him staying healthy is just not a guarantee. And I just, they need to have that position. They got to figure it out. Like this, like, Oh, these guys will develop, blah, blah, blah. blah. They got to like get past that and like find a way to invest in that position. So not every off season we're having this conversation. Are you bailing on Epinesa or Boogie this off season? No, they're too cheap. Unless you can like not bash him certainly. And, I don't know. AJ had moments, but like, but I feel like the only reason I asked that is because you're right. AJ had moments. He had six and a half sacks. I think this was his best season, Mm -hmm. but if they're on the roster and of course they're not guaranteed a roster spot, but you're spending 
more time with them in the mix. And I feel like, again, this is another situation that cloudy clouds the water a little bit. Do you, if you do spend a draft pick, maybe a day two pick, maybe a third round pick on an edge rusher, is that like, you know, the driver to moving on from Epinesa? I think it could be like, I, I don't think it's, it could be like, I, but I also think you need those guys. Like they have shown, like, as someone said, like Brandon Bean's going to mention, Oh, we love to invest up front. And like, I think he means that like they want to put the resources into getting those lines, right. We've seen how important that was for both the chiefs and the Eagles. So yeah, I mean, it could, but I also think like keeping AJ like for this last year of his deal is like, to me, I mean, it's not, you're just not losing a lot. And I think like he was his best season. I agree last year. So I think seeing what he can do in this last year could be worth it. I'll just real quick on that. He doesn't, Brandon doesn't like to bail early on draft picks, especially higher draft picks. Part of that, I think is smart. I think also he still has a little PTSD from Wyatt Teller. Then I think he maybe feels that, That's why Cody Ford, I think, hung on as long as he did because they just wanted to exercise and exhaust every possible inch of it as you could to see if it can work out before bailing without letting the player develop and marinate within the system as long as possible. So that's why I think AJ and and also Boogie are guys that will probably be in the mix and in the fold um, there. I was trying to think of something that's not like such a bailout. I'm like, I don't think Jordan Poyer is going to be on the team and I don't think they're going to address cornerback in a serious thing. I do think safety is going to have to be a little more of a focal point this season beyond just looking at filling the shoes of Jordan Poyer. As I've noted, Micah Hyde's entering the final year of his deal. He's coming off a serious neck injury, even though he said he was clear to play in the AFC championship game. Had they made it, you're still looking at a guy in his early thirties coming off a major injury here in the final year of his deal. Then again, as you forecast ahead, we'll be having the exact same similar conversations a year from now about Micah Hyde as we are now with Jordan Poyer in a position that has had absolutely no turnover really for five, six years with the starters, certainly. And even the guys behind him. A year from now, it may be a completely different unit. I mean, if you lose Jordan Poyer, we don't know about DeMar Hamlin. And you could even argue before the injury, was he someone you had confidence in anyways if he was fully healthy? Micah Hyde entering the final year of his deal. Jaquan Johnson is definitely going to be gone after this season. Dean Marlowe really wasn't in the mix. So even if you move Christian Benford back there, I still think you need to address the position. Yeah, they just signed a guy who was – what on the chiefs practice squad? Is that what you want to put your chips in with? I don't think so. So I think more additions in free agency and certainly investing what I would say in either day one or day two, probably day two. I don't think there's safety talent worth a first rounder, but I think a a good solid draft position and pick should be utilized at the position as well. I think my, my, my thing is, and it's why I included the Oliver trade in my piece today, is that I think I would trade Oliver to keep Edmonds. Like if those Can I two stop people- you for a second? Oh, who are you Who are you playing at defensive tackle? Like who's taking Ed's gonna, spot in that situation? A third round pick, a fifth round pick, draft multiple guys. Kansas City has done it for five years. You know, obviously they have Chris Jones and that helps, but I think Daquan Jones showed well enough last year. He's back on another year. He can kind of give you 
that that presence at that spot. And then you bring in a rookie and you develop them. I think you're going to miss Ed Oliver. But I also think that you're potentially going to miss Tremaine Edmonds more. And I think at his age and what he does and, you know, the, the time they've spent investing in him from a developmental standpoint, I would want to keep that if you can, especially if it's a contract that ends up being, you know, he takes that Matt Milano approach where maybe he can get a couple more million per year elsewhere, but he takes a little bit of a hometown discount to stay in Buffalo with Sean McDermott. You know, obviously Al Holcomb is into the mix now. I think that could be a selling point if you're Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean talking to Tremaine in those negotiations. Or maybe, we don't know, maybe Tremaine Edmonds just wants to go out and get the best deal and somebody's going to give him 17, 18, 19 million dollars a year and it's a non-starter because I don't know if the Bills can pay him that even if they move off of Ed Oliver. And there's a world we live in where they just go into the fifth year option of Ed Oliver and they push it to next offseason and they'll figure that out when it happens. But I just... To push back a little bit on, on Ryan's point, I do think that there will be a massive hole on the defense if Tremaine Edmonds isn't a part of it next year. And I think it affects multiple people. And I think it I think it affects the secondary a lot because of what I think teams do to scheme against the Bills defense. I think it opens up the middle of the field depending on who you're going to put in there. I think one thing we saw this year is the value of Jordan Poyer when he was not in the lineup. I think you saw the value of Tremaine Edmonds, and I think on top of what he did on the field, I think you saw the defense when he wasn't on it with injury. It was different. It was different. You can't just plug in A.J. Klein or Terrell Dodson or Terrell Bernard, and it's the same. That's not the case. Could it with someone else? Maybe. But I will say this. When Ed Oliver's not in the lineup, I don't really think the needle moves a whole lot different outside of the Los Angeles game. He gets hurt after that game. And I'm like, I don't know. And so often we hear about defensive linemen, especially on the interior that, Oh, what they do and provide is never really seen on the stat sheet. Well, you drafted him in the top 10 to be different than that, to be a guy that you notice in the interior who's built different, who's a pass rushing defensive tackle. And he has never been that. And Someone asked me about trading at Oliver. I, I didn't even, I, I dismissed it. I'll apologize. I don't know who it was, but it was some, some guy on Twitter said it. I dismissed it. It's like, there's not, they're not going to do that. It's, it's been more of a talking point. I don't think it happens. It almost to me doesn't happen because I don't, who, who's going to take him. I, I agree. That, that I don't cool. think you're going to get enough back to make it worth your while. Like I said, if I'm trading Oliver, I need like my, my baseline is probably like a second and a fifth. And I don't know if anybody's given you that. For no, me. I don't no, think so. No. <laughs> right. Right. No so, so then I'm like probably not moving off of that. I mean, are you going to trade out at Oliver for a third round pick? You shouldn't. Cause right. as much as we say, like he doesn't move the needle, it's not like he's a bad player. No, like, he's he a makes player. players. He makes plays, but it's the same conversation that, uh, we, I believe we've had for two years about Tremaine Edmonds. He's good, but he's not great. He was drafted to be great. He's going to get paid to be great. And if he's not great, then you're just in this pickle and you're, and you got to let him go. I will say too, I think whatever moves they decide to make this off season are going to tell us a lot about how they feel the value of some of these positions, right? Like how do they feel like how important is that middle linebacker spot? Like how do they feel like Jermaine's been contributing there? How much do they want to pay him safety? Like how much they think like, we're just going to get a, I think a, like a, a feel for like how the bills view the value of certain parts of this defense, which is going to be really interesting, but I don't, I disagree on that Oliver. I think 
he's worth keeping for a fifth year. And I, I think he makes a difference when he's on the field. Like we saw a ton of defensive tackle, defensive line injuries this year. And I think it made a difference when he was or wasn't on the field, not consistently enough, but I think there was a difference. I've constructed this situation. So it's obviously fictitious, but if it's Oliver Edmonds, you have to pick one. You're picking Oliver. Oh, I can say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm asking. But this was well, kind of like, the, like this greater okay. point. Like, is if they're Oliver's- like, we literally can't get this contract done with Tremaine, we need to find something elsewhere. And that's the biggest chunk we can add outside of Allen and Miller. And that's allocated for something else. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I'm asking. Like, if it can, this fictitious situation, who would you pick? Well, if I'm keeping, if it's me keeping Ed Oliver for just this next year versus Tremaine for many years to come, that's, it's Tremaine, no doubt. I think it depends on what situation we're talking about here. To me, if it's like, then you get Tremaine for like three years, that's a no-brainer to me versus Ed Oliver for next year. I think long-term is something they need to start working on as a whole better anyway. So that is where I would go with it. But like, I also think if they have to make that choice, this is bad cap management. <laughs> and like, they need to like figure out how to like make the multiple guys fit. But yeah, I think the long-term, I think that's why Tremaine is, I kind of agree with you, Perino, like, Tremaine's value is higher because of his age and like that long-term like having him and like what he has shown is worth worth keeping I think Ed Oliver's a good player he's at his best because he's supported by the person next to him we've heard for years Star Latulale is so critical to him and that's why when Star opted out Ed Oliver wasn't the same Jordan Phillips is someone who propped him up in 19 and this past year early in the season but then when Phillips is out or Daquan Jones is out Ed's not the same player you can't invest long term into a guy who's whose success or his top success is predicated on somebody else I don't think like as great as Matt Milano is he's not the reason that Tremaine Edmonds is going to either reach his full potential or not. I just don't believe that Jordan Poyer was the same way him and Micah Hyde collectively did help each other, but we ultimately found out, unfortunately, like Jordan can still be a borderline all pro completely banged up in his early thirties without Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde can do the same thing in the rare occasions that Jordan Poyer wasn't out there. Tredavious White can be an all pro regardless of who is the cornerback on the opposite side. Stefan Diggs will be an all pro regardless of, who the other wide receivers are around him to me, if you're going to invest heavily in just a core group of guys, they have to be able to stand alone to be one of the best players on the team and one of the best players in the league to earn that money. And at least through four full seasons Ed Oliver has not been able to do that. Yeah, no, that's perfectly said. He, he disappears at times. You know, it feels like he shows up on Thanksgiving Day. So maybe if the Bills keep getting those Thanksgiving games, they can uh, make it worth their while. But no, in all seriousness, Oliver on a standalone or as a standalone player has, has disappeared too many times, has been a non-factor, has been pushed around uh, because he is undersized for that position. So Matt, going back to your original question, if it's one or the other, it's Edmonds to me because to what Elena said is if you're bringing Edmonds back, it's not on a one-year deal. It's for multiple years. Uh, Brandon Bean said at the end of the season how they you know stack up positions differently than other teams in terms of importance. And, and I think that linebacker is higher on their board than a lot of other teams around this league uh, in terms of their dependence. I think when he traded up to get Edmonds years ago, it was for him to be there, Luke Keekley of sorts. And no, he's never come close to being the Keekley, but he's gotten better every year. He's been an important part to that defense. So in terms of your question, it would be Edmonds to me with no, no doubt. 
you know, if you want something that, you know, takes the decision right out of your hands, get over to Tops Friendly Markets and get yourself fish fry. <laughs> These things are delicious. Get the best deal on the most delicious fish fry in town at your neighborhood. Top. <laughs> Sorry, you guys aren't used to that. Ryan, actually, that brings up a really good point. See? You are so good as a co-host on this show because <laughs> the most ridiculous transitions, you never have an audible reaction. Yeah. So that threw me off. That threw me off with the audible reaction. That definitely... um affected the performance uh these delicious fish fries are prepared hot and fresh to order throughout the day and are packaged in tops fish fry boxes that ensure that your fish is still crisp and delicious during the trip home which is very important you can even get a fried shrimp or scallop dinner also just 10.99 best of all when you buy six fish fry dinners now through april 8th you'll get the seventh fish fry free all right let's go around the horn final thoughts and wait real quick seven fish fish fries Oh my word. You talk about a round table. That's like a, my goodness. Listen, if you're getting a fish fry every Friday, don't you know, during Lent, I mean, that's the. Are you supposed to? You're not supposed well, to you eat Lent is like, you're not supposed yeah. to eat meat. So a lot of people eat fish. And so that's why it's so popular in town. And well, if you're going to do that, like Lent goes four weeks, I think. Right. So you're saying you save one for the next week? <laughs> no, you get you get six. You if you buy six fish fries, you get the seven free. So you're basically saying like, I got coupons for seven fish fries. I'm getting seven fish fries, and you're only paying for six of them. That's the bottom line. Oh, they're coupons. I thought you were getting them all. Uh, whatever. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> oh no, no not at one. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. Sorry, tops. My when being. you buy six fish fry dinners. You get the seventh free. For complete details, visit topfriendlymarkets.com or visit your local Tops Friendly Markets. I'm going to have to do that. My bad. They got you hooked up with these just phenomenal fish fries. They're just going to really knock your socks off. Um, anyway, all right, final thoughts around the horn. Doesn't have to be bills related. Give me a take. Give me a, give me a, a final thought. We'll start with Ryan. Yeah, final thought. Just looking forward to the combine. It's always good to hear, uh, get ideas about which players maybe the Bills have interest in, who they've met with formally. Uh, we, we've seen, obviously, Elam last year, someone they had a formal interview with. And you saw the interview after the fact. So looking forward to the interview sessions. And obviously, the 40-yard dash is still something that's uh, must-see TV, even though it doesn't matter much at the end of the day for the prospects. I love the combine. I love Indianapolis. Any talk of moving it elsewhere is just ridiculous. And the only people that truly understand the reasoning behind that are the people that attend it every single year. It's just, it's a fantastic underrated seas, uh, city. I can't wait for my St. Elmo shrimp cocktail and a steak and uh, just hanging out with everyone. I mean, it, it's, you could tell we, we have a good time. I love just throwing around ridiculous pictures that we all uh, do or do not like to promote this podcast and go down memory lane here. And we haven't hung out in like a couple, uh, you know, a month or two substantially. So to, to do our job and be all together again, um, it'll be fun. And Elena will probably complain that I didn't invite her out to dinner with the rest of the group. Cause that's what is a, is, you know, a weekly road trip uh, tradition. Yeah, but that's, when you finally do invite her, she doesn't come. So it's like, that's, that's not true. It's just give and take. It's <laughs> not true. Um, know, yeah. I'm so for everyone listening, I am often left out of the like hangs. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh, we didn't know you would want to come. I was like, what? Anyway, wow. I think it's because I'm a female is how I'm going to take it. Because wow. They wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So, I am I am anyway. tweeting all the pictures that you hate that uh No. 
take it back. Anyway, I have a couple. I have a couple hot takes for you. Ooh. First of all, I hate the combine. <laughs> That's like my like. I despise it. I don't like going to it. Um, it's too many people for me. But we're gonna go. We're gonna have a great time. It is fun to hang out with everyone and like see everyone from around the NFL. It's just not my favorite event. So to hear all these glowing reviews, I was like. Uh, but it's great. And Indianapolis is a lovely place for it. I also have never been to St. Elmo's despite going to the combine many a time. So this might be the year for it. I've heard good things. Get your reservations. Get your reservations now. See, that's the problem. I know. Too much planning. I know. Um, and then my other take is I'm excited to try fish fry. So everyone, please, like the tops one sounds great. I heard I could get a lot of them. Um, <laughs> but like everyone send your fish fry recommendations because I actually do want to try it out. So, yeah. Yes. Um, it's available every day, all year long. Fish fries <laughs> aren't just a Lent or Friday thing at tops. Get the best deal on the most delicious fish fry in town at your neighborhood tops, which I'm sure you could probably walk to. You got one close to your house, so you're good. As a matter of fact, can you tweet a picture when you're eating the top fish fry? I'll, re- I'll retweet it. No? Okay. Fish fry goes completely counter to the meat raffle madness that Elena encountered during the football season where she, her first meat raffle was hitting four wins in like three rounds. It was insane. That's my hot take. Haven't been to a meat raffle, but don't. No. No, it was fantastic. <laughs> Brandon B needs to hit on the draft like Elena hit at the meat raffle. Just boom, 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 boom. Just winning early. I had to and give often. out my meats. I had so many meats. So. <laughs> All right. On that note, for Elena Getzenberg from ESPN, John Scott from Spectrum One uh, News in Buffalo, Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. Hit that like and subscribe before you go. We'll see you guys next week from Indianapolis Combine. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.